Look, I feel like I should share something with you based on, you know, years and years of experience and traveling with thousands of salespeople. Uh, and then I'll hesitate and I'll say, but you know what? We're having a good time. I don't want to spoil the mood. And then they're begging, like, no, tell me. I can handle it. I'm like, you sure? Because sometimes people tell me to tell them and then they get all mad. And then I'll just say, look, I think I really think you should get out of sales. Like, your income for the last three years has been plus or minus 10%. You're stagnant. And you're still under-earning probably 80% of the people that are out there doing sales. Welcome to the Waste No Day podcast, a podcast specifically for and about the home services industry as it relates to plumbing, heating, air conditioning, and electrical. More than a podcast, Waste No Day is a credo, a determination, a mindset. It is a never-ending discipline. It is a refuse-to-lose pursuit. It is a wake-up call every morning to waste no day. Now here's your host, Brian Burton and Nate Minnick. Hey, welcome to another episode of the Waste Snow Day podcast. Your hosts, Nate and Brian, are hanging out with you again and looking forward to another great episode, this time bringing on author, speaker, and consultant extraordinaire, Jonathan Porter Wisman, also known as the author of The Sales Boss, which is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. And we're going to have a great conversation with him, focusing on how to lead great teams, specifically great sales teams. But before we jump into that interview, as we always do, Brian and I are going to spend a little bit of time breaking down the ideas for you ourselves, and we're going to turn to Brian for our quote. If nothing changes, then nothing changes. Jonathan Wistman. Great quote, Brian, and of course, uh, none other than the person that we're going to be interviewing here in just a few moments, and you can always already tell that uh, he's got good stuff to offer. Yeah, and I know it seems like a tip of the cap to the guest when we use a quote by the guest. And I should do more of that. Um, and I would love to say I'm going to do more more of that, but that could require a fractional piece of homework, and I'm not going to do that. So we'll see what happens. Frankly, frankly, I'm surprised that we didn't use a Brian Burton quote on the Brian Burton episode. Yeah, you know, nobody's taken the time to to clip out all the the uh, genius that flows henceforth from this uh, gaping hole in my face. Nobody's yes. uh, yeah, nobody's cut them out and said dash Brian Burton. So we don't have any in, Brian Burton quotes. Listen, in in the rap game, we would we would phrase that as spitting rhymes or uh you know something like that. So uh, bars. we'll see what we can do yeah. for you. Yes. You know, I mean bars is a little nineteen nineties uh oh, okay. to rhymes these days. My bad yep. little chirp. Yep. Yeah anywho so we're gonna talk to Jonathan about uh what it means to be a sales boss. That's behavior, outlook skills and stature if you read the book and uh we'll make sure we carve out time for jonathan to explain what he means by those four uh words in the acronym you know jonathan's people reached out to us to do the episode which was um this would be the first time that a guest that was on my list of people that i want to contact and bring on the show actually reached out to us before i reached out to them so i don't know a few weeks ago got an email uh, as we get, how many emails do you get like this? Somebody dozens uh, and dozens and dozens. So it's a lot of emails for a, <laughs> a whole lot of people we don't bring on the show. It's just like, and these emails for Nate, it's he gets most of them. So it's like this particular email. I don't even think most of them end up going to me. He just kind of you know disposes of them. But um, 
This one in particular, he sent me because he thought it seemed interesting. And I had read his book and was kind of three quarters, halfway, something like that, through reading it again as I'm transitioning, taking on a, a new role as a sales boss, if you will, uh, a, a general manager role. And I wanted to, to refresh, and I thought chapter five of this book was so perfect for that. And it's just a great book anyway, whether you're new, whether you're a seasoned vet, uh, manager, leader, whether you want to become a leader one day, this is a great book for you, The Sales Boss. It's on Audible. Check it out. Um, so I got the email, and I, I immediately sent back an email, said, oh, my goodness, like I love this book, and he's on my list of people I want to bring on the show. So. I sent the email back and said, you know, we'd love to have him on. I really enjoyed his book and I uh, really enjoyed him on Tommy's podcast because he was on Tommy's podcast what, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, a year and a half ago or something like that. So they sent back an email and said, Jonathan asked if, if we could do a quick call uh, next week, like next Tuesday to chop up the episode and just, you know, figure out what direction we want to go in. And we don't typically do that. I think we've probably done that for like three guests over the years, but we just don't have time. But in this case, he lives in Arizona. I knew I was going to be in Arizona that week. So I emailed back and said, Hey, if he's up for it, we could just grab lunch or something. I just want to talk about his book the whole time. You know, we're not going to talk about the podcast. So they sent back, I think it was Julie, his, his assistant sent back an email and said, yeah, he'd love to. In fact, he asked if you would want to do dinner instead, and maybe he could get Tommy to join. And Tommy Mello, whose show he was on, I happened to be recording an episode of Tommy's show that morning that we were talking about getting together. So perfect. So me and uh, Amelia and Tommy and Bree and Jonathan and his wife Cassidy got together for a lovely dinner, and uh, Tommy ended up paying which makes it even more lovely because it was a nice expensive dinner. And, uh, it was all like, it all, this all came to pass in a matter of like a week, which was just insane. So we got to hang out a little bit, talk about his book, talk about this company he wants to promote, um, and talk a little bit about the podcast. But yeah, so I'm pumped to have him on. I'm really pumped for this interview. Can't wait. And then once it's, it's finished and, and releases, I can't wait to listen to it. Absolutely, Brian. And what's great about this is a lot of times we do episodes on sales and every once in a while we sneak in an episode about leadership. This is going to be a great combination of the two where it's leadership in sales, specifically sales teams. And so we're going to have some great discussion with Jonathan today about what does it mean to lead a team when that team is composed of both underperformers and overperformers and people who are just curious or questioning what uh, level of performance they're supposed to be at. And he has some great ideas about what it means to drive people to the next level, help them excel past whatever comfort zones that they've gotten themselves into now, and lead the way in terms of taking that team to uh, what he says is the top 1% of the industry. It's going to be a great conversation. But before we get to that, it is now time for that special time. Yeah, and that and that you know the development of people brings me to a uh, an article I was reading in Forbes Advisor where they were talking about the benefits of a skilled trade job. I'll just read a little bit of it here. Skilled trades offer ample opportunities for career growth and high earning potential. Don't we know it, buddy? 
Demand for skilled trade workers is steady. And by steady, they mean going up steadily. With the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics, the BLS, projecting a 4% employment growth for construction and extraction occupations from 2021 to 2031. Sorry, it's a two-year-old article. Yeah, right. 4%. That was in probably beginning of 2021. It's probably more like 14% now. And then in what we do, it's just forget about it. This growth is about on par with the average projected job growth for all of the U.S. jobs. And I'm, I'm guessing that's far surpassed the average by this point two years later. Another benefit in pursuing a skilled trade is saving on education costs. Bachelor degrees can be expensive. The National Center for Education Statistics reported that tuition and fees at public four-year schools average about 9400 in the 2021 academic year, totaling just shy of $40,000 for a full degree. Vocational school, trade schools, typically cost as little as $5,000 per year, and degrees only take two years to complete, meaning it's around a, a quarter of what it costs to get that bachelor's degree. The education requirements for skilled trades can vary depending on the career path. Some employers require more professional certificates or apprenticeships. Most ask for a high school diploma or GED certificate. In some cases, taking the trade is saving on education costs. Bachelor degrees can be expensive. The National Center for Education Statistics reported that tuition and fees at public four-year schools average about 9400 in the 2021 academic year, totaling just shy of $40,000 for a full degree. Vocational school, trade schools, typically cost as little as $5,000 per year, and degrees only take two years to complete, meaning it's around a, a quarter of what it costs to get that bachelor's degree. The education requirements for skilled trades can vary depending on the career path. Some employers require more professional certificates or apprenticeships. Most ask for a high school diploma or GED certificate. In some cases, taking the SAT or the ACT can help you stand out against the competition. Uh, not sure where they got those statistics, but none of that is true the slightest bit. <laughs> but if you come knocking on the door of a uh, most of the skilled trades companies, at least that we talk to, and it is funny, you know, the more I, I, I read um, people's shooting me messages and stuff and find out what trades people in, we get out to some trades that I've never even heard of. So <laughs> we'll cover we'll cover that on another episode. We should just do an intro with all the trades that listen to the Waste No Day podcast. But I know in the ones that we operate in, in, in HVAC, plumbing, electrical, residential, you don't need any of that stuff. Just knock on the door with a with a decent personality, a heart of gratitude, a positive attitude, and you're probably getting hired. And you're probably getting hired on the spot. So it goes on to talk about what an apprenticeship is, and uh, it, it does bring up what the highest paying skilled trade jobs are across all of what they would deem the, the skilled trades. They have Boilermaker as number one at 64000 a year with a projected growth of negative 5%. They have electricians, Sparkies, at number two with 64 
4,000, uh, sorry, with uh, about $150 a year less than Boilermakers, but they have a projected 7% growth. Number three is elevator and escalator installers and repairs. So there you hey, go. Which shout out yeah. to those guys. Always looking up. <laughs> I do not know of any escalator repair people who listen to the Waste Not a podcast, but they're getting a shout out anyway because of four. If, if you are, uh, if you are, please leave us a comment and make your make your username something about escalators or elevators taking me higher. You know, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be fantastic, and we'll give you a shout out on the show for sure. Industrial machinery mechanics coming in at number four with a 16% growth rate over the next 10 years. And uh, number five is millwrights with a 5% growth rate coming. And number six, finally, number six, plumbers, baby. Plumbers, pipe fitters, and steam fitters with a projected 2% growth, which is shocking that it's that low. I don't believe that's the case anymore. So. There you go. The top six. Uh, they don't talk. Uh, uh, they don't uh, mention anymore. So sorry, HVAC. I'm sure you're going to come up in there somewhere. But uh, if you know anyone young, without direction, who's not really sure what they want to do in life, um, I would say, you know, err on the side of of personality more than mechanical ability. I, I believe there's still that thing where if someone lacks a mechanical ability at, at late teen or early 20 um man or woman without real skills with uh, mechanics you probably naturally wouldn't push them toward the skilled trades i wouldn't i wouldn't get hung up on that i mean most companies in at least residential are you know they're they're training people that go knock on doors and meet homeowners all day every day and we tend to hire for character and charisma and then train technical so if you know somebody who's looking push them into the skilled trades in some capacity we got a lot of voids to fill a a big labor gap to close and the money's there i mean these jobs are paying for real so just wanted to throw that in there yeah i mean great stuff brian and not only is there a ton of opportunity in terms of going to a technical school uh, but there's plenty of opportunity to work and get paid and trained at the same time as well i know we do that at our organization and i've heard and i'm aware of multiple other organizations that have in-house training schools uh, or apprenticeships that are basically pay uh, paying you to learn paying you to go to school so it gets even sweeter when you look at it from that perspective, and we're always looking for great people for all of the trades out there, uh, such a starvation for that. And so totally, totally agree with you, Brian. We need more. All right. So uh, without further ado, let's talk about a review for a quick second. Why don't we? Ooh. All right. Not just any review. Do you remember what we rolled out last week, my man? I, I am familiar with it. There was There was a challenge laid down. Go on. What was the challenge? <laughs> there was a challenge laid down to uh, to post a review that specifically highlighted WebMD in the username. <clears throat> that is correct. And uh, we had several, which we really appreciate, but we rolled it out that the first one that popped up on the app would be the one to win the prize. WebMD all day. Five stars. 
WND every day is the name. So now from now on, whenever he reviews anything, it's going to come up as WND every day. That's really why I did it, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> now get out there and review some podcasts, my man. <laughs> Welcome to the marketing team, buddy. <laughs> Five stars. He's already on the marketing team if you read this review. Five stars. Listen every week, almost every day. Our whole team listens every week, and we go over the podcast every Thursday. It's part of their training. Love what you guys bring to the home service industries and even more to our team. Hashtag waste no day. And I did not ask if I could share his name on here. Um, what do you think? Should we just throw it out anyway? What's his first name? Jason. Jason. Shout out my man, Jason. Appreciate it, buddy. Shout out to Jason of Georgia. I'll throw that out there too. Um, I don't care. We don't have any any money coming in, right? Sue us, buddy. <laughs> no, he's such a huge fan of the show, and he's made like a public post on Facebook before that I saw with his whole team wearing um, the dollar sign glasses. The dollar sign glasses. Yes, I saw yeah. that. That's awesome. After so, we did an episode about um, how how I train when when uh, someone's just in a rut, like a like a heavy producer gets in a rut, and I start talking about you know I just pull my glasses out of my desk that has dollars through big chrome hideous glasses with huge dollar signs in front of the eyes and i ask if potentially you could be looking like this when you go to talk to your client like are you potentially looking at your client like a paycheck do they feel like a meal when you look at them um and if that's the case now we have to talk through how you can back down off of that a little bit because the further in a rut you get in a commission in a in a commission career you know the further you get away from paying your bills so so you can get this you can feel this sense of rush and anxiety and start looking at people as paychecks and that's not the way to get it done so he had his whole team put these on and made a facebook post with them wearing the dollar sign glasses and hashtag waste no day so his name's jason grooms with team absolute in georgia we appreciate you, Jason, and you will receive a gift here, I would think, probably end of the week. And if you don't, shoot me another text. I know who he is because when, as soon as he filled it out, first thing Monday morning when the episode dropped, he got a hold of me on Facebook and sent it to me. So I was like, well, I said, uh, it'd take a few days to actually post, but if yours is the first, then you'll be seeing that gift. So we appreciate you, Jason. Thank you for the support, man. And uh, if anyone wants to support the show, the best thing probably you can do is is tell a friend and get somebody else to listen. Second best thing you can do is make a Facebook post and tag us in it and just say thank you. Third best thing you can do, jump on Apple Podcasts, scroll down and read some reviews, press write a review, click that five-star button in a hurry, and then tell us what you think about the show. Oh, and P.S. If you don't like the show, don't write a review. Go write a review about somebody else's show. Thank you. <laughs> Love it, Brian. Thank you, Jason. Uh, appreciate that. And appreciate your team listening. So shout out to your team as well. Hope you guys are having a great week. What we're going to do now, though, is turn our attention to a great new guest as we put Jonathan Porter Wispin into your passenger seat. Yeah! Our guest today is Jonathan Porter Wisman. 
If you're an entrepreneur or business owner seeking insights to propel your venture forward, Jonathan is a voice that you don't want to miss. As the CEO of PerceptionPredict.ai and WhoHire.com, Jonathan commands a deep knowledge of building and scaling businesses. His best-selling book, The Sales Boss, stands as a clear indicator of his expertise. Jonathan specializes in aiding clients in constructing efficient teams tailored to their business's unique requirements. His targeted approach mitigates the anguish and disappointment that often result from recruiting incompatible talent. From the beginning of his career, Jonathan has been building his own business and businesses from the ground up. CNN Money recognized his acumen by featuring him in his ventures, and they were listed among the top 50 high-growth companies during Global Entrepreneur Week. He is regarded as a trailblazer at the intersection of technology and human potential. Jonathan's work helps driven entrepreneurs build a team that matches the size of their vision, amplifies their business's positive impact on the community, and gives them personal freedom. It's a great story of overcoming adversity, and we're looking forward to having that conversation with him today. Welcome to the show, Jonathan. Ah, thank you, Nate. Nice to uh, meet you. Brian, good to see you again. Yeah, buddy. Uh, Jonathan and I met last week. For those who don't know, we got to experience a fantastic dinner. What was that place called? Oh, you had to put me on Ch Charter House here in Scottsdale. Charter House. Yeah, that was an awesome place. And uh, went with Tommy and Mello and Bree and our wives got to join and had a fantastic conversation with you and uh, been really looking forward to this interview. Loved your book, by the way, The Sales Boss. If you haven't checked it out as a any kind of leader in the industry, sales manager, owner, I, I promise you, you will not have wasted a minute uh, listening to, as I do, or reading uh, The Sales Boss. It's a fantastic read with tons of good insights. I've been, what is it, about nine years now on the management end, Nate? I mean, management's a stretch, if you're asking me, but... <laughs> Less workmanship. I don't know. There you go. Okay. Yep. Fair. And it seems to be like more geared toward people early in their management career, but you wouldn't think that at all. If you read it today as a, as a 20 year vet of sales management or leadership in any capacity, I feel like, and I told Jonathan at dinner, you're going to get so many brand new insights. And, and uh, there are a lot of kudos that I found where I'm like, cool, I'm doing this right from a from an expert's perspective and then so many things where i was like you know what i'm i'm not doing that right and the way that it that it's explained in the book um clearly lays out why it should be done the way you say it should be done and what the effect will be so i appreciated it i read it in chunk don't try to go through it all on one trip i would say give it a couple hours at a time and just digest it and uh and enjoy yeah, and I really wrote it from the perspective of a sales leader, maybe even a very experienced sales leader, but when you're brought in to a new team, an existing team, how do you position yourself as the leader of that organization and move into a, an effective capacity as a, as a leader of the sales function? Great. Well, we're looking forward to talking about that. Sales is a common topic on our podcast and one that we definitely want to focus on uh, quite a bit because it's something that is really lacking in, in terms of professional sales in the marketplace. Uh, and so before we jump into the book and the concept, uh, let's learn a little bit more about you. So Jonathan, what's your story? How did you become an author? How did you get into the consulting business? And uh, well, our listeners are home services oriented. So do you have any background in the trades? 
The answer is, like most people, some things happen completely by accident. But I grew up in a religious cult, uh, at least what I consider a religious cult. So I spent a lot of hours knocking on doors, trying to con convert people to our religion. Sort of a closed society in that sense. But it, you know, reflecting ba back on it, it taught me a lot about people and how people think, what motivates people. You know, how do you get people engaged in giving their life for a cause? Uh, and, and that was an interesting place to, to jump into um, running my own business. So early on, only home ex service experience I have is I started a cleaning company. And it was, how, you know, how am I going to pay the bills? And so I, I started a cleaning company. I did well at that, sold it a couple of years later. I ended up transitioning into technology companies. And so that's what I do now. I build technology companies. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, sure. You know, wiping stuff down and then into technology. Yeah, well, I could talk to you about the tr transition from that, but, you know, it all, all comes down to people. And the way I ended up getting into consulting is literally just people who I was associated with saying, hey, uh, how are you doing what, what you're doing? Could you come take a look at my business? And, you know, at that time, it was always people that I looked up to. I almost felt like an imposter. I always looked up to them as the expert. I thought, hey, you're doing really good in your business. What could I, you know, possibly teach you? And so my answer to that was, I don't know. It sounds like you're doing really good. If you let me come bang around in your business for a couple of weeks, I'll give you my opinion. And, you know, if you, you know, th th that's the best I can offer. And so I would do that. And then they'd say, well, can you help me implement that? And so I'd help them implement that. Uh, and many, many times, even a pretty good sized company, we would double their revenue inside of one year, put in place really good systems and processes. And so that turned into more formal consulting and, and that grew really quickly with, um, with, uh, you know, referrals into other clients. And, and then at, at a certain point was asked to write the book. And so that's sort of the brief history of how I got into consulting. Who, who asked you to write a book? Because I'm still waiting for that knock. Oh, you know what? I moved. I bet you they were just about <laughs> you know, it's, to knock. It's, it's actually kind of random. So as part of my consulting business, I was always a big believer in assessments. In fact, right now I uh, am the president of a company called Perception Predict, and we do pre-hire assessments that predict performance on, a, on an organization whether that's sales teams, leadership, et cetera. And in my book, I write about uh, assessments because it's a, a huge way of getting a, an understanding of what's on your team. And one of the big publishing houses, Wiley, bought out an assessment company that I was representing. And so I went to a bunch of their conferences and I was sitting at a, at a table with one of my clients and my clients started talking about the transformative work that I had done for them. And one of the book publishers was also sitting at that table and said, well, uh, and I didn't really understand that the, in the publishing uh, business at the time that these editors go to meetings and they get to pitch their idea. Uh, and then they select which authors they're going to back. And so he met up with me and said, I'll pitch your book. Probably not a good uh, chance you'll get it. There's a lot of books on sales leadership. And I'd already started writing some of the first chapters of the book. Um, I sent it to him. He had read it. He shared it with the editors. He called me a month later and said, hey, I was wrong. They want to publish your book. Can you have it done in two months? And I said, no, I can't get it done in two months. Uh, <clears throat> and so the rest, but, you know, just sort of sort of that, um, I don't know, kismet of how things you meet people, you do things. I think, Brian, how you and I met, you know, both having a connection with Tommy sort of independently and then my name coming across your desk right after you had read and 
I, th I really think that's sort of the way the universe works in the sense that you have to put yourself out there. You have to show up. You have to put in the work. But when you've done that, those right relationships kick in and make things happen. Yeah, agreed. Well, it was pretty, it's all pretty phenomenal. And I told the kind of the, went through a little bit of the story on the intro to uh, how, how we came to meet, which was all of the coincidences in that that happened within the course of a week are pretty mind blowing to me. Yeah, it's uh, when you when you look back at, at life and you try to think, you know, what are the pivotal moments in life? Some of them, when you go back, is really just being in the right place, having formed the right relationships, and then having your eyes and your energy and your spirit open to change. And, and that, that's what really allows you to transform yourself. Well, that's a good segue there, Jonathan, because being open to change is something that uh, in the sales industry or whatever industry you're in that normally requires sales, you have to be willing to adapt. You have to be willing to reconsider how you're doing things if you're looking to achieve bigger and better results. So your book is entitled The Sales Boss, which is quite a title when you think about it, uh, positioning the book from the get-go as something that uh, is, you know, this achievement level, you know, we, we've unlocked boss level. <laughs> I'm right? glad you to get exactly why I titled the book that. It, one, it's an acronym, B-O-S-S, and happy to talk about that. But, you know, there's so many books on sales management. And I think to myself, who wants to manage? Like, have you ever asked somebody, hey, how you doing? Well, I don't know, I'm managing... And nobody wants to be managed. Like you want to do something like a boss, right? With flair and style and energy. And when you're around somebody that, you know, walks into the room and has that sort of it factor, it does transform both the, the room and the community that, that, that those people are living in. So I always wanted to say a sales boss is a sales leader that's operating at the top 1% of their profession. Okay. And so when you're talking about the top 1%, are you, does that inherently mean that they are managing people or does that mean that they are performing individually at that level? No, this book is specifically around people leadership, people leadership. Okay. So my book is, my book has nothing to do with sales. It, ha it has everything to do with how do you think about building a team? What data is important? How do you uh, select the people on the team. How do you manage them on a day in day out basis? How do you grow their skills? Um, and, and then as the organization grows, how do you make sure you can, you know, continue with that, that growth curve? So as, as I did at dinner, I'm going to disagree with you there. <laughs> whereas, whereas I thought it was, I feel like as if I was still selling, uh, and any, and I would recommend any salesperson read it, and I don't know if it's just a perspective thing where you kind of get the perspective of the sales manager or of the team leader or, or you know, field supervisor or whatever it is that, that uh, you have at, at your organization. But I felt like as a salesperson, reading that book would give you enough perspective of the sales leader. It just it just provides structure. Yeah, let me see if I let me see if I can add to that, because if, if, if you're a high performing salesperson, you will recognize greatness. Right. And. The book is about structure and how do we de how do we determine our behavior, our numbers, our skill level? You know, how do we how do we manage our our head trash on a day to day basis and everything that's happening outside of work? So I think if you if you're a salesperson, 
uh, that has an interest in performing at a high level, the book's going to interest you because it's the function of selling. And people tend to think of, you know, sales as a, as a, as a talent that you either have it or you don't have it. And I would agree with that in some sense that, you know, you could have a, I don't know, you could have a, you know, you could need a dog for a certain task and maybe no dogs are available and you could hire a cat and you could teach the cat how to bark, you know, but even if you did that, that cat would never be that convincing. So I think when it comes to building a sales team, you have to have like the raw DNA to be convincing in that role, the ability to, you know, deal with adversity and all of the other things, but the rest of it really can be taught. And also with putting the correct structure around yourself, you can, you can have the guardrails to, to make sure that you're performing at a high level. Clearly you've never seen Brian's cat. <laughs> no, I guess not. But my wife runs an animal rescue, so I see hundreds of them. So, you know, I have a lot to <laughs> So that, that's what I was, you made me think of what I was looking for was perspective or paradigm change. It's like, if you're in sales, you are a sales manager. You are a sales boss. You're, you are running your own company. Yeah. And you have, and you really have to think of it as I am managing myself. The, the other reason to use the title sales boss is it's actu actually an a acronym and you can use it really for any function in an organization, whether you're, and, but I use it in the sense of analyzing something that's going wrong with an individual on my sales team, but you could also self-reflect on this. So if all of a sudden your performance is way off and it's maybe off more than the industry's off, right? Or the rest of the team's off, it's clearly something going on on an individual basis. I always start with B-O-S-S, -S, and the, the B stands for behavior. And what I mean by behavior uh, isn't the action of doing it. It's not like picking up a, you know, a phone or following up on a lead. It's the, it's the frequency of doing that. It's not the quality of doing that. So I think of this like body temperature, right? There's a normal temperature that humans run at, and there's also our individual temperature that we run at. So I want to look at a salesperson and say, what was normal for their behavior? And is that behavior off? And oftentimes you'll find, hey, my sales numbers are off by 15 or 20%. My behavior numbers are really close to 15 to 20% off. If, if that's not the case and there's really been no fundamental change in behavior, you know, it's normal for Nate. He's doing exactly what he's always done. The next thing is outlook. And outlook really has to do with what's going on um, in our head. It's how we see ourselves. It's how we see our company, how we see our competitors, right? What's going on in our marriages, or our relationships. It's it's all of that voice in the head. And, and so as a leader... You're looking first at behavior and then at outlook. Have either of those things changed? And that's the levers we should be pulling on first when we're trying to, to get a course correction in success for somebody. And, and then the next thing is skill. Do they have the skill necessary? Is the skill suffering? Has the, the, has the need for a higher level skill than they've accessed before all of a sudden emerged, right? Maybe they're selling at a different level to a different kind of customer. But most leaders want to start with sales training, with skills. Let's just drill, 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 make sure your skill's right. It's actually behavior, outlook, and then skill. And then the last thing, the last S would be stature. And stature really has to, you know, you've, you've experienced when you walk into a room and it's obvious somebody belongs there. It's obvious that they're an expert. You know, very similar, Brian, as you described on this podcast, where you started it really to help your own team and connect with your own team. But all of a sudden, your stature in the industry changed, and then people reach out to you as the expert, 
right? And so your sales process, if you want to call it that, becomes much easier. And it's very similar with people on our team. Once they have the behavior, the outlook, the skills, what can we do to raise their stature so all of a sudden everything else becomes more sustainable and easier? All right. So I love that. And Jonathan, if you're okay with it, I'd like to uh, borrow some of your free consulting here for a minute. Absolutely. So Brian, Brian is a, uh, he's an underperforming salesperson, which isn't really that surprising, but if you were <laughs> consulting him, if you were consulting him and we'll just say that he's, I don't know, maybe a plumber in the field right now, and you were going to walk him through the B O S S uh, methodology of making sure that he is operating as a personal sales boss. Like, you said this can be introspective, meaning that he could he could reflect upon himself, but perhaps you would help him do this. What would that look like in practical application to him as a plumber in the field right now? Yeah. Let me ask you a couple of context questions first. Am, am I familiar with him? I'm in his organization. I, I have a relationship with him or I'm an outside consultant. Um, well, I, I would say it uh, because you probably don't know most of the people listening to this podcast, you're going to have to be an outside consultant. Okay. So as an outside consultant, I can do very little to help him other than to really reflect. Did I say outside? I meant you were inside the organization. <laughs> yeah. Other than, you know, I write in my book, things are only good or bad by comparison. And what I mean by that is what we consider great depends on, you know, our life and where we grew up and what we were exposed to. I mean, I mean, I remember when I would first rent a car, it was always, even if I was renting a Geo Metro, it was always better than the car I drove day to day. I loved looking forward to it. You know, life happens and all of a sudden it's your point of comparison of what you consider great. So even as an outside consultant, what I'm first trying to find out with somebody on my team is where did they get their definition of great? And does their definition of great match what I need from them in that role? So if I go to this, you know, the sales boss acronym, I first want to know, you know, what is their behavior and do they understand their number? And what you'll often find out is they don't, and they don't really understand how their number compares to the best in the field. So one of the truths about humans is that we love autopilot. Our teams love autopilot. Like you, you know, you get in a car, you drive somewhere, you're not thinking about it, it's autopilot. So if I'm a sales leader in an organization, how do I get my individual team member to know what their behavior is. And it's really a, a lot of things that we can do. One of the things I institute in all of my companies and certainly anybody I consult with is what I call a meeting cadence check-in. So at the very beginning of the meeting, we're going to go around the room. I don't even have to say start. They know it's going to happen. The person on my left does a check-in and they say, this week I did X number of calls. I closed this amount of business. My you know quote volumes at this. My close percentage is X. What I'm committed to as a performer is X. I'm X or Y ahead or behind that number. And as the leader, my job is to say nothing. I can't say, hey, great job, Brian, or hey, Nate, you need to pick it up. You had a slow week. I don't say anything. When they're done, that's a scripted check-in. They go all the way around the room. Everyone says it, and then we begin our meeting. I'm doing two things. I'm making sure that they're highly aware of their number on a regular basis. It's just what we do. And there's peer pressure in having to confess your number. And you may look and you go, well, you know, I may have had a bad week, but I'm nowhere near as bad as Nate. Right. And so next week I work a little harder because I, right. Or, or sometimes we say, Hey, that guy just got lucky, got the good leads coming in or the dispatcher likes them or, you know, whatever it is, the, the head trust, the excuse. And then what they hear on a regular basis 
that is, tracks. hey, he's actually working twice as hard. His pipeline volume is twice what my, mine is. So if, if I'm, you know, dealing with an individual plumber, I really just need, I need to know what normal is for them. And I think, especially in the trades, when you're both the salesperson and the technician, you pride yourself on technical excellence and you don't pride yourself, like they know their numbers, right? Like what's the pressure supposed to be? What angle is this got to be installed at? They know that. And you just have to tie in the importance to them of knowing a behavior number. And, and, and then the, the boss level comes from how do I get Brian to do that and not see it as I'm controlling him? Like, how do I tie that into a home that he told me that he wants to purchase or a trip he wants to take his family on or some other goal that's unrelated to why it's good for me as his leader and good for the company if he does well? So, Jonathan, I mean, if, if Brian's conducting this exercise introspectively or somebody's listening to this podcast and, you know, they're just running through this scenario in their own head, how do they know whether they are a small fish in a big pond or a big fish in a small pond in terms of their number and knowing that it is a are, winning are you, number? Give me a little more uh, substance to that. Are you in terms of revenue sold or... Brian, yeah, Brian's doing a million dollars in sales in a plumbing truck. How does he know whether that's a good number or not? You, you, in the initial consultation, you, you were looking for what is his definition of winning and where did that definition come from? And so I'm asking, like, as him as a plumber, how does he know that a million dollars in the well, truck get, is good? Get involved in, in groups like Nexstar or some of these trade industry groups, Garage Door Freedom, right? There's plenty of podcasts and groups, and you have to get outside of your own castle to see what great is. I've ridden with salespeople all within the same company, and I'll, I'll do a week-long ride-along with some guy, and he'll be bragging like, oh, you know, I do three calls a week. I've got it booked up, and on and on and on he'll go, and he's he's, he's proud. He's bragging. And he doesn't realize the week before I traveled with somebody that has seven appointments booked every single day and then works three hours in the hotel in the evening. Like you, you, you so he, if you're going right. to be the best, you really have to put yourself up against the best and measure yourself on that. And then realize when you finally attain that, that you, you there's probably another level. I, I, I've had a completely enjoyable time working with Tommy Mello. Like in every aspect of the word, he's a top performer, holds himself to a high standard. If you don't know him, A1 Garage. In uh, and, and working you know, as a consultant with him, uh, one of the things that stands out to me is Tommy wouldn't be Tommy if he was impressed with Tommy. He's all he's he's got that little bit of dissatisfaction, right? It's not like he's unhappy in his life. He's living a great life, but there's always that little discontent to say, "How can I be better? What is better? What what is the next great thing?" Look, and look, you don't get entry into those worlds until you have a certain amount of success. Now, as he's had success, he sold off part of his business. He's having doors open. He's getting exposed to something else. And I think as a home service contractor, there's a difference as somebody, you know, you think about even like auto part, you know, if you open an auto parts store, there's one guy that opens up a muffler shop and he's running a muffler shop his whole life. And the next guy, you know, does Midas mufflers or discount tires and owns the world. All of that just has to do with what were they comparing themselves to? And so I like to have really honest conversations with salespeople to say, what are you 
what are you comparing yourself to? I, I, I had uh, a, a gentleman that I uh, did an interview for one of my clients. They asked me to interview one of the incoming salespeople. And this guy's earning somewhere around $70,000, $80,000 a year as a salesperson. He's been at it six years. I just told him, like, if, if, you're, if you've been in sales for six years and you're not over six figures, you should quit. Like, but he was priding himself as he was great just because he quit challenging himself. Like, if, does, does that make sense? Yeah, and actually it lines up with uh, a, a great quote. My, my boss's mom, actually, as credited with uh, Matt Buckwater's mom, says, uh, he, those who compare themselves amongst themselves compare unwisely, right? So you need that outside perspective. You can't just look inside the room and be like, oh, well, I'm better than Brian or Brian's better than me. You need that perspective that is holistic in nature and has taken into account the wide swath of performances available within your industry. Well, it's an interesting balance. When I'm looking at salespeople, I want the what I call the happy discontent. And what I mean is like I want them to genuinely be happy in their life. Like, you know, if they're married, good 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 you know, relationship with their wife and their family and, and they're happy and they're taking their kids to their soccer game, but there's a little discontent. They know they can provide more, they can do more. Uh, but that, that discontent doesn't make them, you know, critical and angry and unhappy and need to move on. It's, it's the happy discontent where there's always that belief that I'm just getting started. Okay. So we've gotten Brian to examine what his numbers are, whether where they came from, whether those are fair assessments to be made. And uh, we've gotten him comfortable with the concept of checking in on those numbers to making sure that he is expressing the right behaviors and those types of things. Where would you step to next? Once I have somebody understanding their numbers, it's really about understanding the impact of those numbers, right? There's, there's, before you get the skill, you only have two options. One is to do more of the behavior, right? And the other is to acquire the skill. So I'm going to go down two paths at the same time, which is let me understand what, where is the skill deficiency and how do I apply that in the behavior? And when you, you know, I think of like athletes like Tiger Woods, when, you know, when he was sort of at the peak of his career, he would get a coach and they would totally remake his swing. And then, you know, publicly his games would actually get worse for a while. And then they would get better. And a salesperson has to be similar. They have to be willing to be sort of uncomfortable with that new grip, that new swing, knowing that, that it's going to pay off in, in the future for them. Having a good grasp of their numbers is going to help them be comfortable doing that and then sort of trusting the process. And I also don't want them to uh, come across so scripted with a prospect that they like they completely lose their livelihood. So I want to train, I want them to just focus on one thing and how am I incrementally going to get better at that one thing? If it, you know, if I'm offering warranties or I'm trying to offer three different price packaging, like whatever I'm uncomfortable with, I just want them to pick that one thing. They could suck at the rest of it. I want them to master that one thing until they can do it in their sleep. They're comfortable doing it. So it's, it's the skill. And then I'm also going to try to program their brain, like the, and that's the outlook. What are they telling themselves that lets themselves off the hook? And everyone does it. Like you think about, you know, people that commit to going to the gym there and then they don't 
there's something they tell themselves in their mind to let themselves off. I'm doing that currently. I'm like, wow, I'm putting in a lot of hours. I got a new technology thing and I'm running a dev team at 1030 at night and I'm up at five. I haven't hit the gym in a month. It's an excuse, right? And, but I have to, what I really need to do is not know that I'm having an excuse. I have to really tie into what am I telling myself that allows me to accept that excuse, and, and when you can create a dissonance between what people are saying they want and, and how they label themselves and what they're telling themselves. So as an example, if you consider yourself a great father, that comes with a whole host of things that you label as a good father. It might be I tend my kids, you know, I coach my kids sports team, I eat dinner with them. I don't know. You probably have your own list. When you don't do those things, you don't all of a sudden say I'm a bad father. You say, well... They know I want to do that, but I'm busy with X, Y, Z. You sort of let yourself off the hook. When you judge other people, you don't let them off the hook. You just say, hey, they're a bad father. They're a bad husband, you know, whatever that is. So it comes down to. You know, C.S. Lewis had a great quote where he said, what you just described is exactly how he defined loving your neighbor as yourself. It was excusing the the, the crimes, quote unquote, the the sins of your neighbor the same way you'll excuse your own. That, that's it. It's, it's, it's getting really tied into that. So you don't let yourself off, like being your own worst critic in that sense, like uh, and understanding when you are letting yourself off the, when you, when you, um, when a salesperson doesn't do a behavior they know they should do, or they don't practice, there's something they're telling themselves. And usually they want something more than they want the thing they profess to have. Right. And that's where I get into like, you got to really tap into what's their idea of great. There's a, you know, there's a bunch of studies that when you're making about 20% more than the peer group that you grew up with or that you hang out with, that you, your thermostat sort of goes to normal and you're okay. You'll psychologically say, Hey, I want to earn more money or I want to, but you, the reality is you don't like it, it no longer drives you. It's, you know, it's different if if I park my car in a parking garage and I don't have money for the meter and I had to go knock doors, like I'm going to close a sale, right? Cause I need to get my car out. And that's sort of an old Sandlerism, right? In, in for the Sandler sales training, that's a different sort of motivation than, Hey, I have everything I need. I'm, I'm living 20% better than all of my neighbors and the peers and people I hang out with. Sure. I'd like more money, but that's not necessarily going to cause me in the moment to execute the way I need to. So a great sales leader has to understand what's the next great. I, I remember the first time I walked in to a house that was 6,000 square feet. I didn't know they even existed. I grew, you know, I grew up poor and I was like, wow, that's the, you know, now, now 6,000 square foot house is just sort of, you know, you're it's good or it's good or bad by comparison. And that, and that's what I mean by you really have to get up next close personal leadership is a dirty business. And you have to be so close to your people that you really understand what's sort of making them tick. And more importantly, what makes them see the world. You ever been to like a, a I don't know, a circus where they have funhouse mirrors? Yeah, I know, know the concept. Yeah. Wait, you've never been to one, Nate? No, no, I was saying I know the concept. Right. Because you've been to one or... I've, I've been to a circus. I don't reflect whether there's been mirrors there or not, but I know what you mean. Like, you know, one makes you look short and fat and you know, you're not that short or that fat. The other makes you really tall. That's just the regular mirror for me, bro. Yeah. But it's that, it's sort of that curve. 
And I think you have to understand like what is the curve in the belief system that causes someone to do something. So you, if you go back to like terrorists flying planes into the World Trade Center, those people that were on that plane didn't see themselves as as terrorists. They like they had something in their mind, right? That was a cause. It was good. They, now, was it was it terrorism? Absolutely. Was it horrible? Yes. But their curve in their mirror allowed them to see that as actually a service to their God. And and you have to realize the people on your team all carry around this mirror. And if you think as a business owner they see this thing in front of them the same way every other person sees it, you're you're wrong. I remember back in the cult knocking on people's door. I went into this and I, I did I did grow up poor, but I walked into this trailer park and the the windows were boarded up, the door was paper thin, dirt you know, little postage stamped yard out front. And I knock on the door, the door just about sort of collapses. And I'm thinking in my mind, you know, almost sarcastically, like, well, this is the American dream. And I knock on the door and this gal comes to the door and I say, so, you know, how are you doing? And she starts crying. And she's like, I'm so grateful to be here. My kids have a yard to play in. Uh, my husband is abusive. He doesn't know where we're at. I finally feel free and on and on. She, and this was such a powerful like, lesson for me early in life that how we see a situation is going to be completely different than someone else. And if we th- fool ourselves into thinking we know how they're seeing the world, we're just we're wrong every time. So, Jonathan, I mean, part of the O, the outlook portion of it, you talk about examining your head trash and and normally in my mind head trash is things like i can't or um i'm not able to you know the the beat down mentality the the acceptance of excuses those types of head trash is there also a different type of head trash where you're like falsely believing that your numbers and and your performance is higher than it actually is do we also need to check ourselves against like a false summit. Absolutely. And that goes back to what I've been saying. Things are good or bad by comparison. I would say most salespeople are mediocre at best. And yet if you interviewed a hundred salespeople, 99 of them would say they're great. It's just a, it's a false belief, right? And that, that's sort of what allows them to, 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 to power through. And you see your job as a leader is not to break them. It's to give clarity. That's a that's a great way to put it because you always struggle as a as a sales manager of any kind whatever whatever you are as a leader to say you're you're doing great compared to where you were this time last year or three years ago or when you started or or what have you and I don't want to make you feel like I'm beating you down here but here's where the industry is or here's where the greatest in the industry are and you told me you wanted to be one of the greatest in the industry. So I don't want you to feel like I'm, but just providing clarity, the quote you said, is such a better way to even start that conversation. And I would just do that with questions. So I might say, even within you know a company, let's pick a number, somebody selling one and a half million a year, somebody selling three million a year. I'm just picking random numbers. I'm gonna ask the underperformer one-on-one, right? When I'm in a call is, what do you attribute the difference between 1.3 million and two and a half million? What, you know, what do you attribute it to? And I'm going to use really great questioning to, to, to draw that out. And so they're going to give me something, right? I make it up, whatever it is. And I'm going to say, Brian, let's assume that it couldn't be that. 
that you're absolutely wrong. You might be right, but let's just assume you're wrong. If it wasn't that, what else might it be? And they're going to come up with something else. And you say, and if it couldn't be that, and it had to be something else entirely, what might it be? And by the time they get three or four levels, they sort of get uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm <right>? already uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and which one of those three or four things can you actually do something about? So let's assume you are right with number one. That means you're effed, right? Like you, you have no control over it. That means that no matter how hard you work and no matter how hard you train something, if you keep here giving us your very best, you're going to earn X every year. And you're going to be half of what everybody else is. Is that what you, is that what you believe? No, no, no. I don't believe that. Okay. So would you agree? Number one was probably not the right thing, right? You've got to sort of bring them along and you have to get them to say out loud. Yes, that it's not that thing. The other thing that I, I, do religiously with my sales organization is um, I use a compound interest calculator. So if somebody's earning one and a half million or selling one and a half, there's commission that goes along with that, right? If we're pay for performance and somebody else is doing 3 million, I just put the difference in their commission in a, in a compound interest calculator. And I say, how long do you think it's going to take for you? You know, if you really apply yourself to do what Nate's doing, no, it's maybe 18 months, three years, whatever the number is. I'll plug that in a compound interest calculator and I'll say, if you had invested the difference, right? Because you're obviously living on what you make now. What, you're act, what this is actually costing you isn't, you know, 10K or 20K. It's actually 100K that you will never recover. So let me ask you, I'm happy if we sit back and it takes you 18 months. But if we can get there together in three months, are you willing to put in the hard work to do that? What that's going to mean is I'm, you're going to be really uncomfortable. You're going to stay late. You're going to practice hard. You're going to you know, hang out with the best of the best. You're going to be self-critical. You have to tell me, does that, like, is, is 100K difference worth getting out of bed for or am I barking up the wrong tree? I mean, it sounds like you're living a great life and you're, ha you know, you're happy. You go home and you watch TV and, you know. What's, what's even more in our, for our audience who's, you know, home services, it's uh, plumbers, HVAC techs, electricians, pressure washing companies, cleaners, like home, home cleaners, like uh, the cleaning authority and people like that, garage door people. Um, in almost every case, this extra $100,000, it's not just like it's getting left on the table. Your competitor's getting that money in our cases because someone's doing that job in almost every case. We, if we pretend it, someone's doing it. In many cases, they're the biggest excuse makers. And what I mean by that is they're getting beat in their market and they have a reason they believe that has nothing to do with they're not great. They never say it's because I suck at marketing. I am not a place where people want to work. I can't keep my employees. I don't know how to evaluate and hire the great staff. I don't know how to keep them on the team. I don't know how to price appropriately. I don't know how to follow up with a customer. I don't know how to, it, it's, it's, very, it's the rare owner that does anything other than give lip service to that. Like in an owner, I call it mock humility. They say, well, yeah, I know I could do better. And you know, I'm busy. They're letting themselves off the hook. When if they could just say, Brian's better than me. Every time I step to the field with Brian, he's better prepared. His people are better prepared. Uh, you know, and then sometimes a, a business owner will blame it on access to capital. Guess what? 
The reason you don't have access to capital is because the other company's better than you. Because if you're better than all the other companies, you have access to capital. You have people lining up to partner with you. And that, you know, that just comes down to like really cracking open your own head. Yeah. And as we introspectively are looking at ourselves and thinking about moving from outlook to the first S, which is skills, you mentioned the concept of that compound interest calculator where you start actually examining like, what is the impact of my behaviors? What is the impact of my number? How is it actually going to transition? We had Brent Buckley on our show. He's a, a, a high profile HVAC owner now. He was a, a comfort consultant slash technician earlier in his career. And he got to a point where he couldn't sell, in his words, any more boxes. He was selling HVAC units. He couldn't sell any more boxes because they're just, you know, he was maximizing his day in terms of his working hours with as many sales quantity as possible. So he got to a point where he had to examine the fact that he needs to transition to the quality of the sale and it needs to become more than just boxes. It needed to become boxes plus ductwork, boxes plus ductwork plus insulation, boxes plus ductwork plus insulation plus IAQ and all these other things. So is that a fair comparison when we're talking about, you had mentioned earlier about the two paths, one being behavioral and the other one being skill. Behavioral being like, I just need, I'll keep doing the same thing, but I'm going to do more of it. And by doing more of it, I'll get better results as opposed to the skill where you're actually saying, okay, I'm going to up my quality of things and then I'm going to get exponential growth. I'm using the boss as levers to just say, if I'm comparing myself to where I am, if my behavior's off, I can sort of quit looking where my problem is. Why is my revenue completely changed, right? I'm just trying to take that off the table. I'm not one of those people that say, hey, do more and more behavior and you know, you'll eventually get there. Behavior by itself can only do so much. That's where outlook has to be right. The skill has to be right. But in the absence or in the lag before you get that skill, you have to make up for it with hustle. Uh, and what hus what skill allows you to start doing is you get a breathing space so you can think more about your skills. You can go out and visit other shops. You can spend time with other people. And you that gives you the ability to sort of pick your head up and say, how, how can I get better? You know, I was thinking back to this concept that things are only good or bad by comparison. When I got into consulting, I had no idea how to price my services, you know, frankly. And um, in my first business cleaning, I thought I was just great at selling. And then I finally saw somebody else's bid and I was a third their price. I was like, no wonder I'm closing so much business. <laughs> but the, uh, <laughs> but I finally had gotten to the point in my consulting business where I really couldn't take on any more work. And I was introduced to a guy uh, and, and asked to fly out to, he asked me to fly out to see him. And, and so I went out to see him and I'm sitting in the meeting. I, I really don't have the bandwidth to take on the work. And the problem he's proposing to me is sort of outside my comfort zone. Like in at this point in my career, I thought most things I step up to, I'm going to hit a home run. This one, I'm like, I might be lucky to get a base hit out of this thing. Uh, and so I'm sitting in there and he, we finally get to the end. We've, we've talked for about an hour and, he ha hour and a half. And he says, well, how, how would you price this? And you know, how, would you, how would you approach this? And it was the first time I was completely disconnected from the outcome. And so I said, well, it sounds like you have a half a million dollar problem. And at that time, half a million dollar deal in a single deal was a huge thing for me. I said, it sounds like you have a half a million dollar problem. And here's, you know, what I'm thinking about it. And I'm just positive he's going to say no. 
Because this is at the at this point, this is almost five times the most I've charged somebody. Like I really went way outside to get him to say no. And he says, "Okay, well, uh, when do we get started? How do we get started?" Not even a blink. You know, all of a sudden, I'm like rewind. Like, how much money have I left on the table by just over the years by having this mindset of what a lot of money means? And so then I say to him, because I'm still going for no here, because I there's this fear like. A, one, I've really, uh, I've really overpriced this thing, so now I'm going to really have to deliver, so I really want him to say no, even though I'd love the half a million dollars. And I say, well, I'm, uh, I, normally I collect uh, 200K up front, and then I get started. He calls his admin <laughs> assistant in. He has me give him his card. He said, call his office, get the invoices. I walked out of there with a check for the deposit. Completely transformed my thinking, right? And the reason I share that story isn't, you know, doesn't have a, a ton to do with me. It has to do with, I think every single salesperson, manager, business person has some blinder on that they're not aware of. And in my book, I, I call that, I believe you believe that. And what I mean is, because it sort of sounds sarcastic, like, I believe you believe that. What I mean is, like, there's a belief that you don't even see as a belief. It's so much a part of you that like, it's just like the sky is blue and the grass is green. You, you, you never, it never occurs to you that there's an alternate reality. And that's where you really want to get to unlocking greatness is to say, what's that thing that I believe that I don't even recognize as a belief? Like, it doesn't even occur to me that there's some other alternate reality that other people are playing by. And specifically limiting beliefs, right? Yeah. Uh, in almost every case, yeah, our, you know, our beliefs are healthy in the sense that they, they sort of give us guidelines to sort of structure living by. Uh, so, uh, in, but certain beliefs when they're limiting, they just, you know, where, where are you setting your path? Like, I'm not going to try something if my belief is that A, isn't possible or isn't worth doing or you know, any, any, any other sort of thing I might be telling myself. Like, we're the easiest person to lie to as ourself. Yeah, we can convince ourselves of anything. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that's one of the reasons I'm a big believer in, like, data and psychographic assessments is because it... <clears throat> it unlocks truths about us that are sort of universal truths. Like what are the, we have core DNA makeup, the way we see the world. And the more we understand how we see the world, uh, the better off we, the better off we can perform. But also how do, how can I match myself into a role that I know I'm going to be talented at? That's why I have no problem riding with a salesperson and saying, look, I'm just going to level with you. People probably never have. You should get out of sales. Wow. Like in, you know, and, I, and, I, and I'll warm them up to say, look, I feel like I should share something with you based on, you know, years and years of experience and traveling with thousands of salespeople. Uh, and then I'll hesitate and I'll say, but you know what? We're having a good time. I don't want to spoil the mood. <laughs> but you write a letter. And then they're begging, like, no, tell me I can handle it. I'm like, you sure? Because sometimes people tell me, tell them, and then they get all mad. And then I'll just say, look, I think, I really think you should get out of sales. Like. Your income for the last three years has been plus or minus 10%. You're stagnant. And you're still under-earning probably 80% of the people that are out there doing sales. Like, 
there's a lot easier ways to make money than doing sales for sure. Like, go do that. Like, the only reason you should be in sales, I think, is if you're making exponentially more money than you could do doing anything else. Otherwise, it's a hard way to make a living. So that takes us to the final S, Jonathan, which is stature. Um, and, and basically, it's does your does your prospect, does your client, does your customer, and the industry see you as a leader? Stature is a bit hard to define, and it's sort of like art, you know, when you see it. But think about rooms that you walk into, you know, even in a peer group. Like if you went to a HVAC plumbing convention. There are certain people that walk in that room and everyone knows, hey, pay attention, they're speaking, right? And, and they're, they're not self-promoting. People expect that they're going to be better by spending time with them. And that's, that's what stature does. It also has to do, this is the other side of belief, like you get to a point where you no longer, in a, you, you no longer feel like an imposter and you're comfortable yourself in that role. And that gives a certain amount of stature, like just that comfort that I know what I'm doing and I can do it well. I can, you know, operate at a good level. And stature just come, comes with time. It's sort of when you finally shake off that, what am I doing here? I'm, I'm sort of pretending at this. Would you call it confidence, like healthy confidence? I, I think you could use the word confidence. The problem is most confidence can be misplaced with false beliefs, right? So I, I, some of the most confident salespeople, business owner, are actually the least aware. I actually, business owners that sort of have a little bit of trepidation and a little bit of questioning in their mind, those are the ones that are actually hungry and aware of their def deficit. So confidence is a maybe a little over. It's, it, it is that it really comes from external with people recognizing that that you have something of value to offer you're not you're not having to position and the way i think about that in my own life is if if i can show up 100% authentic and i don't feel like i have to put on a you know a a certain dress a certain look a certain way of talking or acting to fit in and be accepted and i can be 100% myself like that's that sort of stature. I can just be me and that's enough. So we have behavior, we have outlook, we have skills and we have stature that make, that's the composition of the boss. If you could kind of summarize that up into this is what being the boss looks like in, in real life, you know, what, what does that actually look like? How could we recognize it if we see it? How could we identify it in ourselves if we're looking in the mirror and saying, yeah, there's a true boss. You are at the top 1% of your profession. That's a high bar. But when you're nailing it on all aspects, you're, you're the top 1%. And until then, you're really not the sales boss. It's not, it's not a you know, title you give yourself. Well, it might be a title Brian gave himself, but Podcast I get boss. it. Podcast boss. You know, when you, when you see somebody that's just driven and excellent at their craft, you know it. Like you, you just know it. And Brian, I hate to keep going back to Tommy, but we just have that in common recently. Like when you sit with Tommy, he knows his craft. He's at, he's at the top 1%, right? Of people doing the thing that he does clearly a sales boss. And, and that's what we have. That's what a person has to strive for is to, how am I going to do better? If you walk into, here's a test. If you 
um, ask your sales team, maybe you shouldn't ask this, it might be embarrassing, but you could go into a sales meeting and you can give the first 30 minutes of that sales meeting because it's so rote. Same thing happening all the time. And you can tell that, tell that sales leaders on autopilot. Like there's nothing new. It's just the weekly meeting. Probably threw it together as he was walking in. He's got, you know, somebody showing up for a job interview and he's like, oh, I forgot they were coming. Let me look it over real quick. You know, smile in the mirror and jump in and do an interview. Like, that's not a sales boss. A sales boss realizes when they're sitting down to hire somebody, they're making a half a million dollar decision. And they show up game ready to make that decision that day. It's the most important thing they're doing in the business. When you play with somebody that's playing at that level, there's no mistake that they're not playing recreation ball on the weekend. They're, you know, they're, they're a pro level athlete. He is a pro level athlete too. Like it, it doesn't bother me at all to keep going back to Tommy because I've personally learned so much from him over the past couple of years. But, uh, I, I do this thing often when I'm around him or with him and I'm especially like we, we, uh, had him speak at the authority brands convention to the, uh, to the tri brands that were part of one hour, Ben Franklin, Mr. Sparky, we were having dinner with him and I was hanging out with him a little bit before. And I was watching business owners come up to him who knew who he was. And the questions they would ask him would be like, if it was an obscure question that I hadn't heard before, I'd get excited. Cause I'm like, this is where he's going to stumble, right? This is the question where, where he does not know this statistic about his business or something. Yeah. Well, you, you just haven't, you just haven't caught him. The, the great thing is, is that the reason is he's always exposing himself to the thing he doesn't know. Like, so he's, you know, it's like that constant growth. What the, the, the you're, you're making the assumption that there's, and you have to about yourself that there's so more, so much more that I now need to learn. And it's really, you know, when you sell your first business, they, I don't care what you sell for. You sell it for a million dollars. You sell it for 30, you sell it for 300. Like that's an ego boost and you feel like you made it right. Or you grow a business from 6 million to 40 million. And like, that's a badge of courage. And really that's nothing compared to what's possible. And it's, it's sort of like, you got to get over yourself and realize, yeah, for a, you, you, people used to ask me, especially when I come in to do sales training, like, well, tell me about your history and what you've done and et cetera. And I used to tell them, you know, I'm not going to share anything about my history or myself for a couple of reasons. One is half of you will think I don't know nearly enough to teach you anything. And the other half are going to think I'm bragging. And what I'd rather do is just judge it simply on the content. Like, does it have the ability to change your thinking in your life? And we do that. Like the most common question you hear people ask, like you go to a networking event or meet somebody, it doesn't have to be five minutes before you're going to hear somebody say, oh, what do you do for a living? And we're subconsciously sort of measuring where do I put this person in relation to myself, uh, right? In the field I'm playing in. And it's almost like a bit of a pecking order if we're, you know, transparent with ourselves, although we may not be that, you know, that, that forthright with it. It's interesting if you can not judge somebody and their experience and what they have to teach by what they've necessarily done or what they'll yet do or the role they have, but just by who they are. Good stuff, Jonathan. And transitioning here a little bit, you know, part of being the sales boss or a sales boss is not only the ability to manage your team well, but the ability to build the team. And 
that starts and stops with recruiting, right? Your ability to find and secure great talent onto your team. I believe that's a service that you offer or at least consult on in terms of recruiting. Talk to us about what that looks like and some of the innovations that you're doing in that area. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that's in the news and popular right now is AI and how AI is transforming business. And AI is really just large data, right? It's math. And what we're doing at Perception Predict is we're building performance models, and we have been doing that for the last number of years, mostly with large enterprise companies, you know, that have thousands of employees. And we're ingesting enough psychographic data about their people, like what makes you know, their grit and determination and the way they think. And we're also ingesting actual uh, performance data. How many deals did they close? What was the average deal size? What was their cu you know, customer satisfaction rating? And we build a model that can be deployed in hiring. So your candidate's going to come in. They're going to spend 15 minutes or so answering questions, and we're going to output a prediction dollars revenue sold, average ticket size, et cetera. And we're getting to within 15% of what shows up post-hire. So dramatically reducing both the, the, the training time it takes for new hires, but also that early tenure turnover. So we're predicting their fit for the role, how they're going to perform. And we're also predicting uh, turnover risk, like flight risk. How long are they likely to stay with you? What's interesting over the last year is we've been able to bring this into industry groups. So as an example, with Tommy Mello and A1 Garage, he had enough technicians. We were able to build a model that predicts their average ticket size in the garage and their customer satisfaction score. But if your average you know, roofing company came to us, they just don't have enough people. They don't have enough data right, to really build a model for them. So what we're doing is we're partner, partnering with industry groups. So as an example, we're building for HVAC plumbing, electrical, right now, a prediction model that's for the industry. So if you're hiring a dispatcher, you're hiring a technician, a salesperson, a CSR, we're gonna be able to have you log into our system, send out an assessment, and we're gonna send you back both the fit for the role and their, and their tenure in that job. Wow, that, that sounds amazing. Yeah, really exciting things. And we're doing that through, in the SMB market, we actually found that, you know, the, the smaller business owner, they need the sort of the entirety of the hiring thing. So they need the ability to post the job, repost the job, two-way text messaging with candidates, automations to help them schedule. And so we recently acquired a company, whohire.com. Uh, where people can come in, sign up, uh, and then we're integrating all of our prediction models from our primary, you know, perception predict business into that. It's so uh, for for a really approachable fee, a company that's out there trying to get talent is is able to use the same technology that big international companies are using. Uh, really cool stuff. Which sort of rings true for my heart, having you know, I've always been self-employed, so I root for the I root for the mid-sized small guy. <laughs> That's, that's really cool stuff. And I mean, yeah, you're right. AI is all over the news and uh, what's going on in the marketplace right now. Uh, and it's really cool to hear something that is probably going to revolutionize the hiring in, in our industry specifically. Yeah. Here's one, here's an offer I would make for, for your listeners because they're busy people. If they were to sign up at whohire.com, there's a 14 day free trial. So it doesn't cost them anything. But then just email me. They don't even have to log in. Just sign up. Email me, John, J-O-N, at whohire.com. 
and I will have one of my team members completely set up the system for them so they don't have to learn a software, they don't have to think, how am I gonna make this thing work? You know, you know that dread of getting in and making something work. We'll set that up for them, we'll demonstrate for them, they can put it into production and, and see the difference it makes on their business and we won't charge them to I do that. I love it, John, appreciate that. Hey, as we bring things in for a landing here, you said a lot of great stuff and probably piqued the interest of some salespeople and some sales managers or business owners alike. If they're interested in learning more about you or about your organization, where's the best place outside of whohire.com to find you? Uh, that's probably that's probably the best place to get me. If you want to get me via email, I answer that myself. So J-O-N, John at whohire.com. Um, you can uh, check out Perception Predict if you want to know how some of the Perception Predict.ai, if you want to see some of those uh, models. And uh, you can always Google the sales boss and you'll find me. And I assume your book is available uh, at major, most, re most major retailers. It is. It's, uh, it's, <laughs> yep, it's it's on Amazon. It's on, on Audible. You should be able to find it. It was sort of an interesting, uh, you know, when the book first came out, it was in all of the airports and in bookstores. And it was sort of, sort of an interesting thing when you talk about good or bad cut by comparison. There was one of the things I was unprepared for is to walk in and see my own book there and that sort of self-doubt of, hey, is this good enough? Right. And so the reason I share that is like, you sort of got to practice what you preach. Like, how do I get better? How do I, you know, what's the next thing? Good stuff today, Jonathan. It's been awesome to have you on the show. As we wrap things up today, uh, in, in all the concepts that we talked about, all the consulting that you've done, all the examination of large and small businesses across the country in different industries, what would you identify as the, the key thing that you see preventing people from becoming a sales boss? Belief. Expounding upon that a little bit. Yeah. Well, it's the belief they don't know is a belief. Like, it's just, how do I see myself? Like most people, um, you know, one of the things I write about in my book is, is people are giving you 100% of what they're capable of or they have what they believe is a valid reason for not doing so. And I, and I think that's true about business owners, sales bosses. Like we, none of us go through life saying, hey, I'm going to operate at 20% of my you know, capacity. Like somehow we've convinced ourselves that where we're at is it is as good as we can be in the moment given our circumstances. That is a 100% belief. And, and, and the difference between where we are now and where we could be is oftentimes as simple as a belief. The moment I was able to say, I can charge half a million dollars for knowledge, to sit down, have a conversation with someone and give them my opinion. Yeah, my opinion's based on data, it's you know on, uh, on experience, but fundamentally they're paying for an opinion. The, the minute I changed that belief, like the next month my whole business was, tr it wasn't like years of transformation. And I think it's that same way for the contractor that's out there, you know, sort of struggling along at two or three million dollars. That difference between three and six is can be instant. It can happen in a few months. It doesn't take, you know, transformational change. It's their belief. People, you know, it's like people have a belief about, you know, these millennials, they don't want to work. But, you know, because you believe that, that's exactly what you're going to see every time. That's the pattern you're going to recognize. You know, but if you ask yourself, is it true that millennials are, you know, they're, if, it's, if it couldn't be true that they're lazy and don't want to work, what else might it be? 
And if it couldn't be that, what else might it be? And like, you just got to get into your own head and go, hey, at the core, it's going to cut, like, you're finally going to get to that level. I just haven't done the thing I need to do. I'm ill-equipped for it. I don't have the skill for it. I don't have the courage for it. I, you know, I, I, I value, you know, hanging out in the evenings, doing nothing. I value alcohol. I value whatever it is more than that sort of, like we're addicted to the dream of being in business and being successful rather than the work of it. And, and that's getting a like hardcore honest with yourself to just say, I don't want it. I don't want it enough. Love that. Love that uh, part right there. I just want to throw one more thing out. If you're going to check the book out as an actual leader, as a manager, as what have you, chapter five was that chapter for me that I probably went back to three or four times and listened to again, which was your thirst, your first 30 days as boss. I was listening to it, understanding that I was going to be taking on a new role at a new company in a new state. But I was also listening to it, thinking to myself, as I listened to it several times, if I was staying here and doing this same job I've been in for nine years, this chapter would it's like you said earlier, sales managers on cruise control. R listening to that chapter for me was something that knocked me out of cruise control and really made me focus on, you know, every turn I was going to make and every use of my blinker or brakes or, or what have you. It was real. It's a really great chapter, and I, I highly, highly recommend the book to everybody. Yeah, th thank you for that. You know, it reminds me of the the deal I was telling you. I, I closed, you know, way outside my comfort zone. I, I dug around in that business and I just had this epiphany and I thought to my, I was, I was actually, and I wrote about it in my book. I was talking to the secretary, the gal that sits at the front desk. Uh, and I brought her uh, lemon meringue pie. I think it was, she loved lemon meringue pie. So every time I visit, I brought it to her and she knew where all the skeletons were like, and what was going on in the business, like probably clearer than anybody. Uh, and so I sat down with the CEO <clears throat> And I just, you know, said, hey, here's a couple of the observations that I've made as a consultant. And, and he, he was blown away. He was like, it feels like you've been here for years. Like, how did you get those insights? And I said, I walked out the door and I brought lemon meringue pie to the gal sitting at the desk. But you would rather pay me hundreds of thousands of dollars than listen to the people inside of your building. And I think if you could, as an owner, just like rip away your beliefs and see your business as your employees see your business and, and, and value what's going on with them and not label it as an excuse. Like really adopt that whatever belief they have, they authentically have that belief. They have a reason for it. And frankly, if you had lived the life they had and experienced what they did, you'd probably see it the exact same way. You're going to get such insights about what's not working in your business more so than you'll get in almost every other way. It, like it really does start with you. Great stuff, Jonathan. Our guest today has been Jonathan Porter Wispin. We so appreciate you being on the show and sharing with us some really great takeaways today. Thank you so much. Great to have you on. We'll have you on again soon if uh, you wouldn't mind, Jonathan. I'm here. I'll, uh, I love hanging out. See you, buddy. Hey, that's a wrap for this show. Hope you enjoyed the interview today with Jonathan. I know I did. It was a great time understanding what it means to lead a sales team. And I'm a sucker for an acronym, so understanding what B-O-S-S -S stands for and how that can apply to you, whether you're part of the sales team or whether you are the leader of the sales team yourself, I thought was so helpful and a lot of great takeaways. 
If you like the show, make sure you let us know in the comments or give us a review. We'd sure love to hear about that. And we'd also love to understand how you're implementing the things that Jonathan talked about today. Uh, we're always looking for the feedback on the episodes. We can share that with the guests. And of course, it, uh, it's an encouragement for us to keep doing what we're doing. If you have any suggestions about some guests or topics that you'd like to hear in the future, we'd sure like to hear that as well. For now, though, we're going to leave you with our weekly challenge, which remains the same, to choose to wake up every single morning and waste no day. <laughs>